Hey everyone, before we begin our podcast today, I did want to let you all know that I will be now hosting the Elevate Cleveland podcast on my own. Dominic has taken a new job elsewhere. He's out doing bigger and better things and will no longer be with us. So I look forward to giving you guys a new episode every Friday, just like on schedule. And Dominic, we wish you the best of luck in your new career and hopefully we get to see you again soon. Hey everyone, Chris Doyle, Elevate Cleveland, a podcast number 16. Elevate Cleveland, I love it. 16? Yeah. All right, today we have Yoshi Nakamura. Yoshi, how's it going? I'm doing great, doing great. Cool, man. So, hey, just looking at your LinkedIn, you've been here, there, everywhere. You've been in, you know, uh, Wall Street, in Cleveland, you're a two-time state champ, went to Wharton. I mean, a lot of things you just haven't done, right? So it's out there somewhere, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) before I get too much away, just talk about yourself, plug yourself real quick. Who are you? What are you doing? What are you doing today? Sure. Yoshi Nakamura, uh, founder of Naka Capital Partners, which is my own investment company. Um, launched that back at, uh, in 2020 into the recession. So we want to talk about building something through a tough (laughs) period of time that should last forever. I definitely did that. And, um, our team did that. Uh, born and raised in Elyria, Ohio. So often, uh, my wife, uh, like jokes around and, and she's from Gates Mills and, and the nice side of the tracks. And <laughs> I like to look at and think that, you know, I'm from the rough and tumble side of the track. Sure. So that's all good. Uh, went to St. Ed's in 1997, uh, was a two-time state champion, but prior to getting into wrestling, I, most of my career was spent and time was spent in judo. Mm-hmm. My father was an eighth degree black belt, one of the highest ranking judo instructors in the world and came from Japan to teach judo around the world. And uh, ended up settling in Ohio, married my mom, who's a fourth degree black belt from Rhode Island. Uh, so we definitely didn't mess around at home. Like just nothing but butt kickings if, yeah. uh, if we got Can out of line. imagine Saturday nights. It's, oh, God. <laughs> or judo practice if you got out of line. Yeah. My dad definitely uh, put his hands on me. Uh, yeah. But on the judo mat, let's be very clear. <laughs> it was legal. Yeah. Uh, no, it, all, all kidding aside. Um, you know, so it was it was great. You know, I had a little bit of a tough upbringing. Um, my father passed away when I was 13. I had a younger brother that was five, a sister that was three. You know, my mom was a single parent, worked at St. John and West Shore Hospital. Um, we struggled. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, but, you know, somehow, some way, my mom kind of figured that out. Got, us to, got me to St. Ed's. Uh, and as mentioned, we won two state championships. Uh, always had this strive for always strive for excellence in academics not just in athletics so i ended up going to the university of pennsylvania the wharton school of business and uh graduated with an undergraduate degree there from wharton Mm -hmm. uh went on to work uh, on wall street for you know 14 years or so uh worked at city uh so i was one of the top ranked uh you know institutional brokers on on wall street uh for a long time with some of our major hedge funds and then went on to run our hedge fund strategy for our equities division at city uh, in 2018, I had a chance to uh, take a shot at you know helping build something that's never been built before, and I left City to join Mike Novogratz, who a lot of people know in the cryptocurrency space, or really just in the private equity or macro world, sure. as one of the you know top guys out there, um, and helped him launch uh, Galaxy Digital. Galaxy Digital is the first publicly traded cryptocurrency merchant bank in the world. And, and you launched um, that when? That was in 2018. Gotcha. And um, and then in 2020, uh, left to, to launch Naka Capital Partners. Again, just here, there, and everywhere, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. What are you doing today then? 
Um, it's really focused on uh, right now. We just made our first acquisition in uh, for the consumer side of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, we got very focused. Actually, this is an interesting time because our thesis is playing out exactly as we speak uh, okay. over the last couple of years on why we want to be in the restaurant space. And I'm not talking about the casual dining sit down. I'm talking about QSR, quick serve. So we um, we got very close to and, and got to know the executive and management team of Bojangles, um, and we've been following them for quite some time. Um, I actually have a close relationship with a private equity team that actually owns corporate. Uh, Mike's an investor, uh, as well as a few others I know. One of the reasons why I focused on that business and specifically the chicken QSR space is, is because we thought that there was a secular growth trend towards chicken, number one. Number two, we wanted to be in the fast casual or quick serve space because there's a lot of trade down from casual dining into quick serve, especially as uh, as you see the quality of quick serve meals going up. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I think of like Ch- Chipotle, right? It, you know, people like Chipotle. It's They view it as a higher quality food. What's interesting um, in chicken versus burger, people view chicken, despite the fact that it's fried, as, yeah. as, as perceived to be healthier. Yeah. Um, not that I would use the word healthy, but I would say maybe better. Um, and look at what's happening with Raising Cane's and Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. I mean, it's not just Bojangles, but Bojangles mm. is, is a brand that's just not really reached out uh, on the horizon yet. Mm-hmm. And they're positioned to really explode their growth uh, outside of that Southeast regional footprint. So, you know, when you look at a Popeye's or a Chick-fil-A and, or, or um, you know, some of these other businesses, they, they look like they're everywhere already. KFC, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're taking a brand that has never really broken out of that Southeast region. And we're going to, we're going to bring it up, you know, uh, up, up North, uh, whether it's Pennsylvania, New Jersey or, or Ohio actually. And how many do you own? So I own uh, the stores in the greater Norfolk area. So Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Suffolk, Portsmouth. Um, there's a network of franchisees that own stores down there. So it's mainly franchisee focused. And that's gotcha. what I am uh, relative to Bojangles. Okay. And we're going to, uh, there was a couple uh, articles that just came out. QSR Magazine, which is one of the top restaurant magazines out there. Uh, they just did an article on us. So we're going to focus on building, helping build that Virginia footprint area. So why are the the sit down dine in franchises is it solely because like they're fading away solely because you think of covid and at the same time you're having an increase of the qsr that trend is going up as the dine in is going down yeah so it's actually been a secular trend that has happened over a long period of time where people are looking for um faster meals so how how long do you think it did Decades, like we're, yeah. we're talking about a slow decline over a very long period of time. Sure. Right? So um, COVID is an anomaly, right? So if you, our thesis was you wanted to have something that was deliverable, uh, that had a drive-through um, and that had a high quality product. So what's interesting about a Bojangles product is that it's a fresh, not frozen chicken product mm-hmm. made from scratch biscuits. Um, and more of the meals uh, within the restaurant or that recipe or that menu, excuse me, not recipe, is moving in that direction. So you, you do feel like you're getting a, the quality of a home-cooked meal. Uh, but it, on a quick serve level, uh, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Whereas a lot of the other, uh, a lot of the other quick serve industries, they tend to package and it's reheat a lot of stuff. This is not the case with mm-hmm. the with the Bojangles. Yeah, um, and you're seeing that with other chicken QSR businesses as well. And I think I don't know. I mean, if you uh, but, talk- and actually back to your question on secular declines, right? Sure. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So quick serve and fast casual have been taking share from uh, the casual dining space for some time. Um, yeah, I think COVID probably sped that up. Um, I wouldn't say that that COVID was the reason. Uh, and the reason I say that is because what we realize is that delivery and drive through were two very important components that helped these QSR businesses thrive. And if you look at some of the comps that were out there for Popeye's and other stores, you know, they're up, 
you know, 30, 40%, you know, after the first month or two post COVID really the COVID shutdown. Um, you look at like a Chick-fil-A, I think they exited 20, uh, 2019 into 2020 with an AUV average unit volume per store at about $5 million to do an eight now. Oh right? my gosh. I mean, think about that kind of growth yeah. uh, in sales over a couple year period. Um, and, and what do they do that all of their in dining is really shut down, right? You can go in and, and order what they call carry out, or you can order ahead or you can do drive through or you can do delivery. Like, there's, they're, they're not dining in, right? Yeah. And pe- well, how long are those lines wrapped around? Oh my wrapped gosh. around the whole building. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you look at these operators, these Chick-fil-A operators. Yeah. I mean, after two years, they're already making millions. Yeah, you know well, what I mean? I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is. They make very good money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're doing well. So that's that that for for me is one aspect of what I've been focused on on the consumer side. So yes, these businesses actually tend to do well in good and bad times, right? Mm-hmm. They're steady cash flow businesses. So when things get tough. Casual dining diners tend yeah. to trade down to QSR. Yeah. Right. When things are good, like you know, more of the lower end um, will spend more money at cas- at fast casual places, as will the the pie broaden. Um, what's interesting about Bojangles is seventy percent. I'm sorry, thirty percent of the consumers of Bojangles products make a household income above seventy thousand dollars, which is pretty high when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's a big percentage. So that that makes us believe that people who really like Bojangles and might want it would be willing to pay up for our DoorDash to deliver it to them. Which how, how do you come up with that, that figure, you know, stats research. Yeah. Everything starts with data. We do our own research. That's incredible. Yeah. I know you said you're in that consumer yep. uh, band right now and you're also into Bitcoin a lot. That's right. So the, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's chicken and crypto it's Bojangles and Bitcoin. So the, you know, the barbell approach of what I'm doing is what I learned on wall street and working on wall street for so long, is like, people get so concentrated and exposed to one, one area. Like for example, I worked at city. I had city stock as part of my compensation. I worked at city. That's who paid my paycheck. And I worked with hedge funds. I was so exposed to like one element. Sure. Um, when the 09 recession hit or 08, 09, when things came crumbling down, it's, there was so much wealth destruction across the board. Um, you know, cash talks about, talks about that in the mortgage industry, right? And I was obviously the bank, uh, city bank was tied to that, that whole issue. Um, and what I realized is that, you know, in order to really create wealth for yourself longer term, um, and there's a difference between being wealthy and then being rich, sure. right? And, and the gap is owning your own businesses, making your own investments, uh, and then diversifying those investments. The crypto space is super high risk, right? Bojangles or QSR businesses, you know, they have risk elements to them, but I think they're safer than, than what we're doing, you know, in, in the crypto space. Um, those can go to zero, right? Mm-hmm. We saw that happen in the dot-com space. I saw that happen in crypto in 2018 and yeah. they can happen now, but it's about having a process on how you look at companies in that space, uh, how you think about the management teams running and building those businesses and then how you allocate your capital into those areas. And then in between, there's a whole host of other things. There's real estate, there's, um, stock market. I, I'm, I'm in, I'm a junkie. I'm a stock junkie. Like I'm an addict when it comes to the stock market. Yeah. Um, and you were not, saying before you weren't, you weren't too optimistic right now. Yeah. And, and yeah, we were talking before the show. I, I had been, I I'm sitting on a ton of cash right now and I've been looking at putting money to work and I started to, you know, buy a few things, get invested. And then, you know, when this whole Ukrainian Russia thing happened, yeah. I actually thought about, I actually started to build a short position in, in oil and I stopped because stuff didn't make sense mm-hmm. and things were already hard as it relates to the supply chain. Um, but when you started to see 
other things happen, especially the sanctions. What's really scary is that we already have a lot of supply chain issues globally still. Uh, we have a labor shortage, which has really caused a lot of angst amongst you know businesses like mine to all the way to the you know Amazons of the world or, or Walmarts of the world. Um, the problem is, is we're just really getting our feet underneath us and getting kind of back to a real life and a real economy yeah. that putting these sanctions on globally is going to slow a lot of things down uh, and there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences. That ripple effect. Look at what happened to the stock market, right? So you see, the, you see the stock market pull back. The only thing going higher is oil right now because you're taking 15% of, of the global supply or whatever Russia's uh, percentages off the market. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to buy it because everybody's getting sanctioned that, 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 or they're putting a lot of sanctions on that impact Russia. So people are very hands-off on buying Russian oil. And who knows what backdoor deals are going on with China and things like that. I can't speak to that. Sure. You are literally tightening a clamp around the world right now that... The tighter they squeeze, the more unintended consequences will, will, will be created from it. Mm-hmm. And part of that is this energy spike, right? So if you take that supply offline, you're driving oil prices higher, right? And there's all other trading dynamics going on on different commodity desks and things that I can speak to um, as well. But you're seeing this parabolic impact on fuel prices that is now going to impact the consumer's pocketbook. Right, so when you go to the pump, I mean, I, I think I paid eighty-five bucks to fill up fill up my truck's gas tank. Oh yeah, uh, close to a hundred, and I'm I paid you know you know obviously not half that, but you know a lot less than that you know a, a month ago. Mm-hmm. So you immediately start to the consumer starts to think, wow, like that's a lot. Like you take twenty-five, fifty bucks out of the average consumer's pocketbook, that impacts what they do or what they spend on. Here's the problem. Here's what makes me worried is that when you do that and you create this exogenous or like parabolic spike in fuel prices that impact the consumer, plus you see the stock market implode, Mm -hmm. right? We got a lot of brain damage from a couple of years ago of this COVID thing that shut the market down and and everybody was like, oh my God, what's what's humanity going to look like? Exactly, yes. Now you have a war going on where you can agree or not agree. I don't. I don't agree with war. I think it's bad and I think what's going on is wrong. But like you have all these like very worrisome things that are that are happening and all of a sudden now it's being felt by the consumer because oil prices are impacting their pocketbook and now my i look at my 401k because everybody's talking about oh my god the stock market's rolling over right you look at your 401k and you're down 10 15 already and you're like oh my god this is like 2018 again yeah or i'm sorry not 2018 2020 again mm-hmm. right here's the other trick or here's the other thing to pay attention to there are so many people that took the money that they got from the government and they, they bought a bunch of stuff, but they also started putting money into the stock market. It was the first retail revolution back into the stock market yeah. that we had seen in a long time. They were buying crypto. They were buying uh, retail. You know, the retails were buying stocks as well. And we call the re- retail, meaning retail investor. Um, institutional investors are the investors I dealt with on Wall Street. And then you see these weird things like AMC go up when you know it's... A, you just a, all the meme yeah, stocks. Yeah, yeah, all these meme stocks go up and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Fundamentally, they should go out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't. Um, that consumer is very aware of what happens in the market, right? So not only are you looking at your 401k rollover, but you're probably getting whacked in your retail portfolio. Like there's a lot of things that are going on that it's going to impact the consumer and consumer confidence that could have a ripple effect on everything in the U.S. economy. Well, like you were saying, you know, hey, we were planning on maybe going to Mexico this, this summer. Well, all right. Well, now the cost of oil has gone up, so that you, they have to offset prices somewhere. They have to offset prices to consumers, right? Well, so, think, think about it like this: so, if I'm a consumer and I want to go to 
by the way, first off, international travel, right? Anything to Europe or like it. I'm sure people will still go to Europe. I'm sure. I got my probably, honeymoon in Europe. Yeah, man, I was going to say June. there's probably great deals. Yeah. I probably would take a trip to Europe because I, I, I'm not as concerned as the average person probably would be. Again, oil prices spiking. What do planes used to fly? Yeah. Jet fuel. Yeah. Right? Jet fuel is going to go up, right? The, the airline industry and travel industry is just getting back on its feet. Literally. Cruise, yeah. airlines. Now, I've flown a bunch of times back and forth, and I've seen the planes packed, and, and people are comfortable flying. Problem is just that the cost of the flight goes up, mm -hmm. right? Right? And so, so people are like, you know what? Hey, we're not going to fly on vacation. We're going to drive. Now they're like, I don't know. Maybe it's not that. It's kind of expensive to drive, too. Yeah. And people start to second guess. Even yeah. maybe taking the extra trip that they would have taken. That's consumer spending slowing down. That's consumer confidence impacting the market and the economy. Yeah. Right. And 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 it 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 will it will have a ripple effect on. Um, right now, I'm sitting on a ton of cash. I I'd like to put it in the market, but I'm kind of like I'm waiting for thing the dust to settle a little bit. And I do have a housing project that's you know getting underway, and I'm you know was going to break ground. I haven't signed any contracts with any suppliers yet, but I'm looking at wood prices through the roof, and I'm like, okay. If I'm thinking about doing this project, am I top ticking wood prices right now or should mm -hmm. I wait because things are going to slow down and they are slowing down. And if the supply chain does ease up here domestically, because wood tends to be a little bit, probably a little bit more domestic than not, um, maybe I'll get a better deal if I wait. Mm -hmm. And then you start delaying some projects and things like that. Right. Not not big institutional stuff, but on the margin, you start to see the, the slowdown that happened there. And, and just speaking for my industry, a lot of different new trends are coming up where, hey, you know, prices are for housing is pretty expensive, right? Yeah. You have a lot of people you, at the same time, coincidentally, interest rates drop at a very historically low rate. At the same time, purchase prices are increasing dramatically, yep. right? Yep. So you typical, have a lot of typical people, interest rate economics, yeah. It, absolutely, yeah. right. So a lot of people these days, instead of getting into the market to buy maybe their second home, are just taking out home equity lines of yep. credit and just adding on a third bedroom, sure, because they want to keep their low interest rate yeah. and they don't want to go ahead and buy another hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand yep. dollar home. Hey, let's just stay where we are and just add on to it. Yep. So it, again, it's having that you know that negative effect for you know a lot of people that aren't able to purchase a home that hurts real estate agents, title companies, loan officers. Well, here's, so the, on and here's so the thing forth. about that. I, I question, so you mentioned the second derivative of second homes. I even question the fact that they're actually looking at doing the projects themselves. And they're talking about, they're talking about, they're talking about it. But now that you have this fuel spike and you have a stock market rollover, right? The, the, the consumer looks at two things. What impacts the pocketbook on a day-to-day -day basis? Right? Yes. And then what impacts the future of their pocketbook, which is your 401k or your retirement plan or whatever you have your money socked away in. We just got whacked twice mm -hmm. in two years. And right? not to mention you were saying skilled labor, you know, lack of labor, right? Yeah. The skilled labor, you know, if I if I need a carpenter and he can't he's got to do it at a higher premium, well shoot. Maybe I'll just have grandpa do it. Well, here's, <laughs> here's what's interesting though. This so there might be a silver lining in getting labor back into the market because things are more expensive. Things sure. are starting to slow down. So people will start to take the work that they have to take as opposed to sitting on the sidelines and taking the work they want to take. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's an interesting psychological dynamic that's gonna be it's going to happen in the space. Um, where where could I be wrong, and where where where's the, where's the other side of this mindset right now? Because I always, as a, covering hedge funds my entire career, yeah. you always had to think of both scenarios because you could be wrong at any given point, and so you have to be able to you flip your scenario on, on its head and then say where's the probability or risk weighted risk weighted reward uh, and bet to be made. And so, where could I be wrong? If you, Russia and Ukraine gets resolved. And they decide, okay, ceasefire, you know what, these are the th three or four things, 
Putin wants, NATO agrees, or they agree, Ukraine agrees, and they pull their troops out. Like, things will start to normalize quickly. But the longer that this persists, the more damage it does. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So so it's it's this won't this doesn't age well. Um, and it gets very long in a tooth very fast uh, as it relates to the economic damage it could do. Because again, we're already dealing with a, a, a recovering economy um, coming out of the whole COVID situation. Supply chain really hasn't been fixed yet. Um, and the longer these tightened sanctions create issues with the global supply chain and dynamics, and that creates more slowdowns um, and higher cost of goods because commodity, you know, palladium or whatever other else other commodity is coming out of Russia goes through the roof, um, oil prices and things like that. The longer that lasts, the worse it does damage wise. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have to see. So I, I'm, I'm looking at both sides. The, the quicker the resolution, the quicker I, I put money back in the market. Sure. Yeah. Do you have any opinions? Obviously, so like uh, Dan Crenshaw, I saw the other day, um, was talking about how much oil we get from Russia. I think sure. it was like half a half a million barrels or something. Yep. But he said like the Keystone Pipeline, for example, would create, I think, 800,000 barrels sure. per day. Are you an advocate for, you know, creating more jobs in, in the United States to create more oil for the United States? So, Or so, I, I don't know if you have an opinion or not. I do, actually. Um, and I, I try to think of it from a economic business standpoint because you know listen i believe in electric cars i love electric cars sure and i think elon musk is a genius absolutely uh, he, he's i mean Stupid when you talk smart. about the stuff that that guy's created he, like he put i mean rockets and electric cars and we'll be the, on Mars the hyperloop soon. and <laughs> i mean this is like every kid's dream right thinking of flying in space and uh you know i just commend and hats off to that but that that can work over time, but when you have these exogenous shocks and, and and situations right now, for me, when I think about do I do I believe in certain aspects of green technology? Yes, and I'm going to be choose my words carefully. Do I believe that drilling for oil domestically can help create jobs and help stabilize oil prices and you know help the economy? Yes, like immediately. But you can't turn that on right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can't turn it on like. Right now, and I don't know what the average co- like the cost, the break-even cost for fracking is, but could you could you frack and, and and start trying to get oil? It takes time to create these to start these processes back up. Here's the other thing that a lot of people don't think about: why do why would energy companies not want to spend more money on on exploration and drilling? Why? Because their shareholders right now are telling them, "I want the money back. Mm-hmm. I want cash flow. I want dividends. I want um, you know I want share buybacks." Right. So they're not really looking at or incentivize that spending and i'm not going to get into the politics of the biden administration and you know them putting the crimp on 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 oil production versus like the trump administration who was obviously pro you know being energy independent which by the way the united states is and can be energy independent anytime they want anytime they choose to Mm -hmm. so um that's given the supplies that they found you know down in places like the Eagleford shale and 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 the scoop in the stack and um and, and other areas down down in the south you have to try to put a rational lens on on how drilling for more oil could help the economy could it could it do it over a long period of time yes you can't turn it on right now mm-hmm. you can't turn it on right now and that's a problem right or, or we would like you can release oil from strategic reserve that's doing it's not going to make a dent in what you know what's being pulled offline in yeah. um in russia now here's what's interesting so and shocking right so 
there's you know there was some comments around speaking to Iran about you know getting production or sanctions removed and production from Iran yeah right uh, low cost production um, there shocking they're Venezuela right really we're gonna go bring Venezuela into the mix um, it 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 kind of scares me again remember when I talked about how I was worried like you're these are two countries that we typically aren't allied with or, yeah but th- but we're we're speaking to them to try and alleviate a, a pain point. Mm-hmm. Think about that, right? You you can't. It's you start to see these very concerning things that are happening, and it makes me worry that if this isn't resolved very quickly, and it, it the longer it ages, the worse it could get uh, economically uh, for the globe, not just the U.S. It's. I mean, like I'm only 26, right? Yeah. So when the 2008 2009 recession hit, I was like in seventh grade, I think. <laughs> right. Now I'm feel old. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, COVID the yeah. pandemic March of 2020. Yeah. So really in my lifetime, I mean, yes, nine 11, but I was a little too young uh, yeah. to really understand the complications. Uh, uh, so uh, I want to, of, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so now going into this, now going into, you know, the, um, the COVID pandemic and now pos- you know, everything that's going on with UK, Ukraine and Russia, yep. it just feels like every minute there's something new, right? Yeah. I, I'm tired of living through a world where it's like, Hey, every, you know, five minute, you take a five minute break. And then the next thing you know, there's another crisis going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel pretty optimistic that we have good allies, you know, with, with NATO and the United yeah, States is very yeah. strong. And you know, the U.S. is still, we still have the dollars as the reserve currency. Sure. And so very we're still yeah. very strong. And I, and like you said, you're a very optimistic person. Yeah. But for me, it's almost like, dude, I'm only 26 years old and we're already going through all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. Let me, let me, let me tell you something that really used to piss me off when I was a kid. And I, I prided myself on working hard consuming information, trying to make educated, calculated decisions based on statistics and probabilities and things like that. Sure. Um, uh, Tobias Levkovich, who was the U.S. equity strategist at Citi, uh, unfortunately passed away recently. Um, he used to tell me when I was first in the business, he's like, oh, you know, yo, she don't have any of these. And he's pulling on his hair, like gray <laughs> hairs. And, you know, it was almost kind of like, you don't know what you're talking about type comment. He would never say that to me, but he would just remind me experiences and and the, the tenure of experience is very very important when it comes to these situations because mm-hmm. market markets trade uh with a similar rhyme and reason to what you had seen in previous times right exactly and yes. so when i see what happened and when i saw what happened in 2020 i immediately was like you know they're gonna they're gonna blow they're gonna pump whatever three and a half trillion dollars in the economy buy bitcoin <laughs> Buy stocks, buy risk assets. They're reinflating assets. Like they're they're done. Buy them. And and my buddy Mike Novogratz, a uh, bunch of guys on Wall Street, um, uh, we all like went all in right then. There. This I was thinking that there was going to be some opportunity right now where, you know, you, you could kind of do that. But I don't know how long this lasts. Right? Mm. They, there's no there's no bazooka that's being shot off right now. It's kind of like in actuality, this administration is this administration is putting more clamps around world productivity or i'm sorry not productivity but on russia uh and that's uh who knows what the unintended consequences are they're 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 going to do everything they can and the globe the world is doing everything they can to stop russia from doing this right now Mm -hmm. right and they're doing it with financial sanctions and Mm -hmm. look at look at commodity prices and what's happening so it's a little trickier to figure out i will say a lot of the 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 new york wall street hedge funds they've what they call degrowth they've taken their books down 
um, taking money off the table or chips off the table. Um, there's probably a lot of cash out there. So once this thing does turn or get resolved, you could probably see it rebound pretty quickly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand here and say that, you know, I told you so it was going to go down and then turn around and, and, but I'm, I'm going, I'm being very nimble right now on on what I'm trying to do. And that's what I was going to ask. So do you believe at this moment cash is king right now? Or cause it sounds like you're not investing too much. Yep. So, Hey, I'm a 26 year old kid. Maybe I want to go put money here. Maybe I want to go buy real estate. Maybe I want to go open a brokerage, whatever have you. Um, is it better in your opinion to just, Hey, keep, keep ha- cash on hand for right now. We call it dry powder. Sure. Dry powder. And I, 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 I like to have dry powder available right now. If you don't, um, you probably want to create some like, so you can, you can be nimble and, and, and make the investments you want to make, whether it's in the liquid markets, meaning, you know, the stock market or, or the crypto market, right? Bitcoin is, is one Bitcoin is a head scratcher right now, uh, to me, because I've obviously followed it for a very long time. Completely bought into it, obviously helping launch the first publicly traded cryptocurrency mm-hmm. merchant bank um, and helping run the, one of the largest trading desks in the world. Um, but it's a head scratcher because you saw gold take off, right? And people kind of align gold and Bitcoin uh, in, in the same same manner. So meaning gold is gold and, and Bitcoin is digital gold, mm-hmm. right? There's a limited supply. and But it's the thing about Bitcoin is, and, and the genius about Bitcoin is it's completely decentralized, yes. as, as, you, as, as you know, and I know we've discussed that before. Um, it's not owned by any government or company. It's not a company. Like it's, it's a completely decentralized network run by nodes or miners uh, or validators in the space, um, which, which is what we call miners. It's shocking to me that people aren't using the Bitcoin network more than what I thought, because if you think about what happened in Ukraine, right? Russia, Russia comes in, people of Ukraine start to freak out. Right. What are the first thing they do? What do you, you go to the bank to get cash? Right. The banks were limiting Ukrainian citizens three thousand dollars, so they wouldn't have a run on their banks. Three thousand dollars in withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Three. Like you could have a million bucks in the in the bank, and you can get three thousand dollars. But if I had if 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 I had the ability to access that money, trade it into Bitcoin, I could mm-hmm. put it on my phone, or I could keep my key on whatever wallet I had on whatever exchange, or I could ha- have a login. Right, a two-factor protected uh, sure. know, login, and I could trade it into Bitcoin. And I could walk out and go to Poland, and and my family would have we would have just all using our, your phone, just using your phone. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I right. need to go to Munich, Germany. Take me. Yeah, like yeah. no, no. But I mean, literally, get your money out of the bank. Mm-hmm. And so, what's crazy is, you know, and I. I don't know what Putin's intentions are when it, when it comes into Ukraine and <laughs> takes think, it over. I don't think anyone. But does. my assumption would be is that once he takes it over, he's gonna, you know consume all the financial institutions and all the wealth in there. And there, there, there will, th- there will be things that happen that I can't comprehend or know what's going to happen or, but I just wouldn't want to leave my wealth in that situation to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot of people fleeing the country. And by the way, God bless all these other countries around Ukraine that are taking some of these refugees in immediately. Uh, Poland, I think they saw uh, people lined up at the at this train station waiting for people to come, so mm-hmm. taking families, come with us, live with us. Yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps it's thinking it's about it, that. Truly amazing. When truly they, amazing. They, I don't know you, and you were just hey, yeah, here's, come on, here's a bed. Here's we'll a go. bed. We'll, we'll house you as long as we can. It's, it's amazing. It's it's a it is again. God bless the people that are doing that, and um, you know, and whatever God you believe in, uh, they all think that that's the right thing to do, and that's pretty amazing. But the problem is, is uh, your wealth can get stuck in in that situation, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't, I think Bitcoin should be skyrocketing higher in this situation. Plus think about inflation hedge, right? Risky uh, period of time, 
geopolitical risk. Um, and and now you know it would make sense to, to that that to be a trade, but it, sure. it, it it hasn't. And the one thing you got to think about, and you got to remember with Bitcoin, it is ten years old plus ten plus years old. Um, but it's still a risk asset, right? So gold is a risk asset. It trades up and down, right? Bitcoin is a, a higher risk asset, but it's supposed to be similar to gold. So the correlations to gold isn't, it gets there, but it's not quite there yet. Um, so a lot of people and have, more trades with equities than it does with, with for sure. Gold. So a lot of people for an argument, and I, I don't have really a stance on Bitcoin. I mean, it makes, it mean, it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me, you know, whatever yep. have you. But a lot of arguments that I hear about Bitcoin is, Hey, it doesn't have, uh, and like Peter Schiff, I think talks a lot about this, and um, he says he likes know, to selectively pick charts to show uh, yeah, that yeah. Bitcoin is not performing for sure. And and if you will, a lot of the arguments are, hey, Bitcoin doesn't operate like normal currency, like fiat it's currency. Not a currency. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So hey, if I can buy a banana on Saturday for X amount of Bitcoin, and then it changes, you know, next Saturday, how does the consumer react to that? You yeah. know, it does it increase? Does it decrease? You know, my head's everywhere. Yeah, I, I don't use Bitcoin to buy stuff. I use Bitcoin as as a, as a hedge to the dollar. Sure. Yeah. Then that's the, so it's a long term. It's a longer term. It's a longer term play against the dollar, but it's also a growth play because the network is growing. So the more people participating in Bitcoin, the more the network grows, and so inherently there's more value in the network. So right? you shouldn't compare it to currency then, like? No, it's not. It's exactly. not. No, it's currencies are meant to be stable, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, you know, and arguably there are. Currencies out there in the world, uh, in you know, emerging markets countries or what we would call third world countries way back in the day, um, that currencies are worthless, right? Inflation and or some weird government, you know, printing of money has caused massive inflation issues, and you know, they're 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 the Weimar Weimar Republic, yeah. yeah the so mark. Bitcoin is a way for people now to hedge against those types of things. In the U.S., you probably don't have as much of a concern as you would, <laughs> and I say that jokingly because. You, you know, in these other third world emerging markets countries have real issues. We, we don't have those issues. So I think of it as two, two areas. It's a store value, right? Sure. And it's, um, it, it's a play on a network, uh, a growth, uh, the growth effect of the network. So inherently the value should increase over a period of time. Um, so that, that's the way I look at it. But, you know, there's a story of, of and I, this is what always has always stuck with me about why you don't want to spend money on Bitcoin or using Bitcoin right now. At some point, it may the volatility may subside and you may be able to use it. Um, but uh, there was a pizza delivery guy that or there was a guy that uh, bought a pizza and he paid his buddy uh, in Bitcoin. OK. Uh, and and it ended up being like worth like arguably, I think it was like hundreds of millions of dollars if you just <laughs> kept it constant currency. You think about how expensive that purchase could be. Like if I bought a bar, if I bought a car in Bitcoin right now, uh, or let's call it, let's say in 2020, when, when, when the crisis hit, uh, when the COVID pandemic hit, um, and it was a used car, think about, um, you know, think about how much uh, Bitcoin has gone up since then, right? And the valuing, uh, that would have been a really expensive car. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about it like that and the pricing dynamic relative to the, the using Bitcoin as a way to pay for things, the means for paying for things, it, it doesn't make it, I wouldn't do that right now. So do you, do you go with any other cryptocurrencies other than just Bitcoin, like Ethereum yep. or, you know, or Absolutely. Dogecoin or, you, you know, well, not Dogecoin, but Ethereum no, not Dogecoin, not Dogecoin. Okay. And, um, there's and then, an interesting dynamic about Dogecoin we can get into though. Sure. Uh, it, saw, yeah, yeah, so, sure. so I, I'm a believer in Ethereum. Ethereum's network is like, uh, internet 3.0. And so if you think about all of the protocols being built on the back of Ethereum, um, whether it's anything tied to 
DeFi, De- decentralized finance, or sure. NFTs, or just the creation of real companies, um, logistics companies, or whatever it might be, they're the ones that are are winning that war for sure. Um, gentleman named Joe Lubin, who's co-founder of Ethereum and the founder of Consensus, um, you know, the genius in what Ethereum did is that they created smart contracts. So mm, if mm-hmm. you are securing a block and trying to keep a record of something, there you can you can build in. Um, parameters around how that's managed. So think about, you know, the mortgage industry, think about title, title companies, insurance, title, yeah, companies exactly, title, yeah. title, all of that. Right. And then keeping a track record of that immutable track record of that over a period of time. I mean, I can't say that's happening now, but maybe 20 and 30, 40 years ago, that's like a huge are, disruption. Are titles clean. Yeah. I don't know. Probably not. Like there could be some gray area there. So that's, that's an area where if you kept that on a blockchain, that could work. People's identification, like identification protection, um, creating those types of protocols or, or businesses on the back of, uh, of an Ethereum blockchain could make sense. Um, or they've talked about building it on the back of Bitcoin's blockchain, like identification uh, a platform. Um, all of that stuff is, is still viable. It's early, right? And there have been a lot of people working on a lot of stuff uh, at Ethereum. And Consensus, which is the, the, the company that Joe founded in conjunction with Ethereum, uh, is, is genius because it that focuses uh, on investing in developers that develop uh, on the back of Ethereum's blockchain. So it constantly pushes money uh, and people and developers uh, onto their blockchain. Um, and I, he's done an amazing job of building that network and, and of, of engineers and coders. Because at the end of the day, um, the way I look at valuing a blockchain or how I view if there is inherent value on in a blockchain mm-hmm. is, number one, um, what type of code. And I, I really on you know, research um, developers or they call them dev research analysts that give you an idea of like how good the code, the underwriting code is, or I'm sorry, the underwritten code of, of, of the blockchain is Two, um, you know, are there real, are there developers that are good, are excited to come and develop on that blockchain? Right? So if you look at like Polkadot, right? Um, they have a very strong following of developers on their blockchain, creating uh, different types of things. Uh, Ethereum is another one. Uh, and then the, the the third aspect of it is liquidity, right? Where can, if I buy um, a cryptocurrency, uh, it, it, is it tradable? Is it creating? Is there is there more liquidity being created in that token to to trade it? So, for example, if it just trades in Asia or in Hong Kong, I probably can't trade it, right? Because there's some restrictions across you know the global footprint. Um, but if it's traded in the U.S., uh, if it's traded in Hong Kong, but it it, it it's compliant and can trade in the U.S. Um, that could create liquidity and people could get more um, involved in the, that cryptocurrency. And inherently, the more buyers there are in a cryptocurrency, it goes up, right? As okay. long as the supply is somewhat constant or staying, you know, staying steady uh, in, in its creation. Um, Dogecoin, right? So what's interesting about Dogecoin is it's the code is Bitcoin's code, essentially, right? It was created as a joke, right? And, and, and by the way, everybody left, right? Everybody in the crypto community was like, oh, Until everyone Dogecoin, started making money, yeah. But what happened was, is because of this whole meme stock era where this retail uh, trader or investor came back into the market and they not only bought stocks, but they're like buying cryptocurrencies at the same time. They're like, what about this Dogecoin? Like this kind of, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of became a meme cryptocurrency slash not stock, but it actually created a following behind it. Yeah. And, and a big that one, network, a big one, yeah. that network creation and that following because the code is similar to Bitcoin, it, it, it stuck. And so you, 
we joked around about and constantly, you know what, on on Dogecoin. But guess what? It has a real community behind it now. People made money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when you have that community behind a, a blockchain or crypto, that's very important um, to the sustainability of that crypto that cryptocurrency slash blockchain that it's created on. Mm. So, you know. People talked about Shiba Inu, and I'm like, <laughs> like gave me I ate a bug face. Uh, so, uh, so, but I don't, I don't fish in those waters. Um, g- good luck to everybody that does. Um, I just be very careful. Um, again, I'm playing for the the long run, and I'm not. You know, there are other protocols that I've looked at on in DeFi and and NFT platforms and things like that that I'll continue to make investments in or trade in and 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 participate in. So let's just pretend that you're a financial advisor and you're looking at, you know, a very well put together person or a couple and let's say you they obviously have good cash savings, you know, they paid down their mortgage pretty well, maybe they have real estate, they're not hurting, mm-hmm. right? But they have no cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. How much do you think like if if there's a number or anything a, a percentage of someone's portfolio that they should have in cryptocurrency? In 5%. You think 5%? That's yeah. just for yeah. any So there's a there's a so I'm going to put on my Wharton School of Business hat. <laughs> there you go. Modern portfolio theory. Let's talk. <laughs> uh, you know, and you think about diversification. So if you diversify your, your assets, your risk assets, and you allocate them based on certain parameters that you see fit with you, whoever your financial advisor are, and this is not financial advice, but I'm just giving you theoretically what you're, how you're thinking about it. So we'll um, and you believe in, in modern portfolio theory and you believe in diversification. And if you, if you do, if you, if you do believe in that and you don't have Bitcoin, you're lying to yourself and your financial mm-hmm. advisor is mm-hmm. lying to you too. Mm-hmm. Right, because now there's a digital asset class, much like commodities was created back in was it the as an asset class back in the eighties, eighties uh, and then into the nineties. Um, it was created more as an investment asset class. You're lying to yourself. And I'll challenge anybody that wants to step up to talk about that. Like you're absolutely lying to yourself if you believe in diversification and modern portfolio theory. There was a case for Bitcoin. That's it. There's no question. So you're not. Not like, you know, when uh, cryptocurrency first came out, you know, 2010. There's 10 years it's, of history of Bitcoin's track record and, and, and being, yeah. it being in existence. 10 years of data is a lot of data. And there is an asset class being created, not just with Bitcoin, but with other things like NFTs, digital art, right? And at some point, there will be a category of what we call security tokens, right? That'll be similar to stocks or similar to ADR securities, uh, American Depository Receipts, which are... Essentially, it's a technology wrapper wrapped around an asset and they divvy it up and they sell it to people uh, so you can own part of XYZ company or so, internationally. So for anyone anyone listening then, yep. and they don't have cryptocurrency and they say, hey, Yoshi, man, I, after, you know, you know, listening to this podcast, I really got to get into, uh, I really got to get into crypto. I really want to make it 5% of my portfolio. Where do I start? Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. But how? You know, oh, like, how do we start? Uh, <laughs> Like Open up a Coinbase account. Coinbase is the easiest. Coinbase is the easiest way to do it. Fees are a little high, but, uh, you know, listen, they have a great platform. They have custody. They have all the things that you need to feel safe putting your money to work in the space. And do I worry about, hey, you know, it's up 20% today or, hey, it's down 10%. Just do it today. What's your, which I would, I would challenge that whatever it is that you or your financial advisor are looking at. Sure. Um, what you know, what's your goal? What's your plan, right? Are you trying to trade your portfolio or are you trying to invest for the long term? Yeah. Right? Then you have to think about what it is that you're going to put your money to work in. Yeah. Right? And there's three lanes in the crypto digital asset space that, that we focus on, right? There's utility tokens I, I, and, and there's like digital gold, right? So you have 
Bitcoin. It's kind of in a category itself. You have Internet 3.0. So all the companies that are going to be at some point built on the back of, of, of crypto, uh, like an Ethereum network or, or other blockchain networks. Um, and then there's a, there's another category, which is actually there might be two categories. The, the, the third category I, was always, I would always reference were security tokens. So much like what you see as stocks or bonds and things like that, there, there's going to be a security token market that gets created at some point. Um, Wall Street works fairly well right now, so it's very hard to replicate or replace that. And nobody really wants to like they don't want to have that exposure. They already have that through stocks. So, yep. so they usually stay in the first lane and the second lane. But what's interesting is what's opening up this category is you have things like NFTs, digital art, right? And, you know, you have people paying millions of dollars for, for some of this stuff now. By the way, digital art is something some of my biggest hedge fund clients like Steve Cohen had already invested in. They invested in stuff many, many, many years ago. Not really? NFTs, really? but digital art. Yeah. Right. That's a real thing. That's always been there. Right. So here's the interesting category or interesting thing that thing that's happening in this third category. Right. So you have uh, let's say somebody decides, you know what? I have a Warhol. Right. It's 50 million dollars. And, you know, I want to own it and control the ownership of it. But I want to sell 49 percent of it. Sure. Right. Now you have a platform. Um, that in the security token market or platform that you can fractionalize the ownership of that Warhol, right? And you could buy $100 of it or $1,000 of it, or I could buy $100,000 of that Warhol. Right? And all of a sudden, a person like my mom, who, you know, she might have, you know, six figures in the in the bank from retirement in her 401k, she might somehow, some way have access to get exposure to high-end art that she never had exposure to before. Super Think about that diversification and what yeah. cryptocurrency brings to the table for that fractionalization. Again, that's that third category, but digital art is, is happening right now. You're seeing a lot of celebrities um, getting involved in it. So just be beware of the hype when that stuff starts to happen. But it is a very real category that not just celebrities, but other real investors are getting into. So how do like, I mean, a lot of this has been cryptocurrency, but I, I want to go to the beginning. What, when did you get into cryptocurrency? So, God, was it 2012? Um, so you've been in it for a minute. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah I've been following it for, I, I will not say from the beginning because that's too early, but 2012 was probably the first where first time I really started to, to, to really lean into it. What was that story? From a knowledge standpoint. And there's a big education curve you got to come up. Um, it actually was, uh, um, <laughs> believe it or not, we were, we we're uh, uh, on a private jet. I was actually was uh, we were I was flying with Mike Novogratz, and I forget where we were going. We were going to an event, um, and we were there with his brothers and a few other people. And you know, we started talking about crypto and and Bitcoin specifically. And it was really focused around Bitcoin. Um, and when you start to understand what what it what it is, uh, you still have to come up at a curve, an education curve on the technology and um, people like us who are constantly. Uh, a student of their environment will, will, will then go deep down. They call it go deep down a rabbit hole. <laughs> once you get bitten by that bug and you go down that rabbit hole, you never come out. Sure. And that's what happens with crypto. And you'll see that time and time again. And what's crazy is when I left city to go to galaxy digital in 2018, all my wall street buddies were like, Oh, like Yoshi, you're doing that. <laughs> you're doing a fake money bullshit. I had one guy actually tell me like, you and Novo do that fake money. Bull-. And now they're like, Hey, like, what do I do? Like, what do, <laughs> How do I get where I put my money? Like, hey, what do you, Oh, you can hire me as a consultant for $20,000 a month if you want to. And I'll help you manage your big bags of money, but yeah. uh, as a consultant, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not giving this away for free now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I say that somewhat you're kidding, but 
you know, I was, I was contracted by a, a major investment bank to help them with the crypto project as a consultant. Because people have to come up a, a very, very steep curve um, in order to understand the space, let alone make a business decision. Treasuries for corporates, people are putting Bitcoin in their treasury. They're not holding dollars, they're holding Bitcoin. Look at MicroStrategies, uh, you know, look at Tesla, right? Look at, look at, you know, some of these major companies are holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet now. They believe in it, mm -hmm. right? That they've done the work. So <clears throat> my point is, is that there are plenty of other companies out there that probably should hold crypto on their balance sheet. They don't know how. Part of what I do is I also, you know, there's my investment, you know, my consumer investment business, there's the crypto side. And then in between, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, I have the opportunity to act as, as an independent consultant for people that are trying to figure out what to do with, you know, the, either the major crypto positions or how they want to incorporate that into their business. Um, and so it's been a huge opportunity because no one's done the work that I've done to get, you know, as high up the curve as I possibly can. And I will constantly do more work than everybody else because that's a wrestler's mentality. It sounds like you just have a, an amazing passion for the subject. That's a big deal. Yeah. When you get bitten by the bug, all of a sudden, all, all bets are off. So do you think... In the future, I mean, everyone talks, hey, Bitcoin, 100,000, yeah. right? It's very, very viable then. Yeah. We were at, what, 60-something not too long ago? I don't follow it too yeah. much, though. So, you just got to buy and own a little bit. And if you're a long-term investor, you know, those, those people talk 100,000, people talk 500,000, people talk a million. Like, mm -hmm. what's your time horizon? Stevie, how are we doing on time? We're at 15 minutes. Gotcha. Cool. We're doing really well. Yeah. So... I, Hey, we talked a lot about yep. the, you know, business, banking, money, cryptocurrency. I want to get into a little bit different part of the conversation. I, I really want to get into wrestling. Yep. Um, so talk about, talk to me about this. Now you're a two-time state champ for St. Ed's. That's right. And then you went on to UPenn yep. and, and wrestled there. And I think you had a, lot, a decent amount of international wrestling too, right? A, a decent amount, not a ton, but a decent amount. Yeah. I was okay. a two-time All-American at Penn. I won university nationals in freestyle my sophomore year. Um, won the Henri de Glan challenge, which is a big tournament in France. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I wrestled for, I actually made the U S national team. So the top three guys uh, at the world trials or the Olympic trials on any given year represent the U S national team. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my junior year in college, I, I took third at the world team trials actually was in Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> and, um, and so I got to represent the U S, um, on, on national teams. Absolutely. So, you know, very tenured in the sport. And you said judo, obviously. I can had feel a, it. I yeah. <laughs> in the knees. <laughs> in the knees, exactly. Um, so, obviously. And by the way, is. I love the wrestling, Mac. I got to give Hesha a lot of, lot of credit on that one. That, that's your workout room. It is. Yeah. I mean, we Anybody did, looking at working anywhere, Liberty is the place to be. Yeah. There's a wrestling mat as a workout facility. We, we didn't preface that before yeah, either. Exactly. That was all, he, he did that all in the day. <laughs> so. Oh. But um, in terms of the sport, I mean, talk about what the sport has done to you and shaping your life. I mean, obviously, you said a very tough upbringing, right? Sure. Um, you know, was wrestling an outlet? Was it something that helped shape you when you went, you know, obviously in, into Wall Street? Talk about how that had shaped you. Through the good and bad times of my life, as it related to my career or anything I've ever done, um, I like to think that I'm relatively intelligent probably work harder than I am smart, but I like to think I'm relatively intelligent, probably more street smart than, than book smart. Um, given the fact that I'm from Illyria, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all my friends in Illyria. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's about you as a person, your values, how you carry yourself. And there's not a shot in hell that I would allow somebody to outwork me. And what I learned about wall street 
And what I learned about a lot of industries is that there are a lot of people born on third base and they think they hit a triple. And I'll roll up my sleeves and work circles around people like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I might not have the opportunities. And I think that's a very real thing that people have to recognize. I might not have the opportunities, but I've created my own opportunities and luck because of the hard work Mm -hmm. um, and the loyalty and the trust, right? And the respect, Um, those those key values that you keep with you as a person and how you carry yourself um, can pay you in spades many, 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 many years, decades in advance. Um, and then continue to pay those going forward. Uh, so, you know, when I learned to take the next steps in the rungs of wall street, to get into the echelons of not the people that are hundred million dollars, the people that are worth billions, um, it was about trust, hard work, respect, right? Again, everybody on wall street's pretty intelligent, right? Can you outwork them? Can you work them? Can you outwork them through the really hard times when people were quitting or getting fired or, you know, can you stay focused on doing what you needed to do to, uh, achieve your goals. Um, and so, you know, our, our family values are, are very simple in how I grew up, right? Be a good person, do the right thing, set your goals high, extremely hard and work hard to achieve them and you know, respect people in their culture. And those simple things can carry you and your family and your business for a very, very long time, right? There are always pitfalls out there. There are things that are uncontrollable, right? I can't stop Putin from invading Ukraine to stop oil prices from going up to the roof because sanctions are being put. I can't stop that. But yeah. what I can do is I can work hard enough to figure out what are the right angles to make the next move. Mm-hmm. Right. And to be honest, um, I get, I don't want to say I get excited because that, I, I, th- I think this is a really hard time with what's going on in, in Europe and, and Russia and, and, and Asia and Europe, but I get energized. Um, and, and that is to, to, to think out of the box, to think about what the next move is to how to risk manage my family's life or my financial life or, um, you know, what I want to do over the next five to 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. It's a dynamic mental playbook uh, that gets energized and that's intoxicating. And that's the one thing that I think when I jumped into the crypto space, the best phrase that um, um, I could think of, you know, when you work so hard at something, it really becomes intellectually intoxicating. And it's probably becomes one of the most, the crypto became one of the most intellectually intoxicating environments I'd ever been in because of the, the firepower of other people that got bitten by that crypto bug. Um, but a lot of people fizzled out because they didn't have the mentality of a wrestler, right? And so bringing it back to wrestling and, and what wrestling has given me, it's, 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 you know, being disciplined, working through the hard times. I mean, you know, think about the last day, the day before, the day of weigh-ins for World Team Trials, I had to cut 10 pounds to make weight, to, to make 152, 10 pounds. Right. That's hard, but it's not harder than what my mom had to do to get me and my brother to go to St. Ed's and having no money and figuring out how to get us to a private school. Um, you, you start to think of like, OK, that toughness comes from wrestling and my family values and what my, my family stood for. So I, I, I think I think those two things, when I marry those two things together, that's that's really what you extract from wrestling to, to be the person you are, to be the person I am today. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love what you said, you know, there's so many uncontrollable things right out in the world and related to wrestling. Hey, ref makes a bad call. You can't control it or, you know, something you got to take the ref out of the equation. Exactly. But there's a lot of things out there in life that obviously you can't control. It's like, Hey, you know, do you quit or do you keep moving forward? Like, you know, in our industry, in my industry right now, a lot of people, there's not a lot, there's big lack of inventory with housing. Yep. So a lot of people and, and interest rates are high. So everyone mm-hmm. who was in the refi world is either quitting, they're just exiting the industry 
or they're moving into purchases. And a lot of these people, they don't really know a lot mm -hmm. to do with purchases, sure. but it, it's inflated my job market. Right. Yep. So you, again, we were talking to like all these different situations mm -hmm. that are just kind of bubbling up yep. and it, it makes it very, very hard. A lot of things I can't control or anybody can else can control. It's like, Hey, what do you do when going gets tough? You did really well the last two, three, four years, but now everything's getting tough. You know, how do you respond? Right. Yeah. Um, I think that is, I it's mean, a wrestler's mentality. it is a wrestler's mentality, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's awesome. So, I mean, look at, look at, look at what Cash did, um, in, uh, incredible story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, again, I worked at city. We were at the focal point of the whole mortgage crisis. <laughs> uh, he's the man. I mean, what he's done to build this business, uh, and then rebuild it, uh, reinvent himself within the same industry. Uh, amazing. And mm -hmm. so, but that's a wrestler's mentality, mm -hmm. right? He's, he's on the desk making calls and doing work ne right next to everybody else. That that's, that's the same way, uh, that a guy like Mike Novogratz thinks, or a guy like myself thinks, um, you know, people that are entrepreneurs that, uh, become successful. Like they're, they're all, they all have that same kind of wrestler's mentality, uh, too stubborn to quit, I guess. Yeah. I, I also think it's just listen, like the good times don't, the good times don't last and the bad times don't last. Right. Yep. So, I mean, you could be doing really well for a long period of time and then all of a sudden, you know, shit hits the fan and, you know, obviously it sucks, but you'll get, yeah. you'll get past that yep. eventually if you work hard enough. But a lot of people just don't see that sometimes, you know, they don't see the, uh, the, the gold on the other side, which is one more stroke you and never you'll get it, it there. Um, and sometimes it takes that discipline, yeah. you know, to be able to just say like, Hey, I'm, I'm right there. I can't quit now. But yeah. a lot of people, I don't think they don't, I don't know. Maybe that used to be a very American thing, and maybe now it's molded to just a wrestling thing. I don't know. No, no, no. There are definitely people out there. So they're, they're actually, this is a generational thing. So if you think about the baby boom generation, right, all you hear from a lot of them is like, oh, the younger generation is lazy. They don't know what they're doing. They're just on their computers and this and that. And in actuality, um, with all the respect to all the baby boomers, we're just thinking about and doing the world differently, mm -hmm. um, right? And so... Uh, there was a gentleman named uh, Rich Barton that I actually, so Zillow, which is uh, the real estate company, which you guys know. Uh, so I helped take that public. I was at City when 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 we took that public and I was on uh, the roadshow team in New York. And so we we met all of my major investment clients and hedge fund clients. And I got to travel with Rich Barton, the CEO of, of Zillow. And his businesses that he creates are very focused on, at the time, putting the power in the consumer's hand, right? So he was Microsoft, Expedia, and then Zillow, Glassdoor, and however many other companies he, he's created. But he was all about putting the power in the consumer's hand. And, um, and I just, I never lost sight of, uh, of that aspect of, 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 of what's important and how you make decisions and, and how you move forward. And I'm kind of on a tangent here, so bring me back. He, he really changed the way I thought about, you know, looking at companies, how industries develop. And when I hear baby, the baby boom generation saying they're lazy, I'm like, no, we're just doing it differently. Mm -hmm. Like I look for, I use skip lag now to book flights because, you know, I might not be able to get a direct flight somewhere, but if I can get a connecting flight to that same city and I'm just traveling for a half a day, right? It costs me 80 bucks versus 300, right? Because it's a connecting flight. Um, you know, there's things like that, that, that are being created. Um, you know, and I'm sure they'll put some laws around it where you can't do it at some point, but that's, you know, the government and, and, and industries yeah. are over-regulating stuff, but we haven't gotten there yet. But my point is, is that like you can, you can, this whole work from home scenario, right? Uh, my father-in-law still gets up every day and he goes to, you know, his job, job site that he runs and he still works every day, but 
both my wife and I have home offices now. She works at PNC Bank and, you know, I run my own business and, and I work remotely, right? And I go travel. I see my businesses, but I sit behind my computer. I look at my DoorDash orders, right? I look at, I look at my Uber Eats, Postmates orders, right? Online, I, I reconcile all the financial statements, right? Work with our accountant to make sure all the bills are paid. And, but I, I'm actively engaging in customers that are using our order online ordering system, right? Mm-hmm. The power's in the consumer's hands to mm-hmm. buy mm-hmm. my product or our source product, right? So I'm working, I'm actively working and in many cases, aggressively working, responding to stuff. Uh, so yeah. that's not lazy. That's I'm just doing things differently. differently. So here's yeah. what's interesting about that baby boom generation gap and the younger generation. There's actually um, um, a generation X, which is in the middle of that. That's my generation. I look at hash, I look at some of these other guys. Because they marry this old school mentality, and I would arguably call that the wrestler's mentality, right? With this new age technology mentality, mm-hmm. right? And this, we're the bridge that will be the kind of generational leaders of, of the next. And look at, look at what he's doing. Look at what I'm doing. Um, you know, I have this old cash flow, brick and mortar QSR business, but I'm investing in crypto, right? Right? Because I understand both worlds. Yes, I understand absolutely. Both worlds. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, uh, it's an interesting dynamic that's happening right now. And I actually don't think that this younger generation is necessarily lazy. I just think they're doing things so differently, Different, yeah. so differently that this generation can't understand. And by the way, this generation is looking at why would you, why would you do that this way? And, and you guys don't understand what we're talking about. But the, the generation X gap, uh, a bridge is, is what bridges the gap between those two generations. Absolutely. So it's generational, actually. Absolutely. And uh, Robert Greene, author of um, Laws of Human Nature, he talks about, you know, generational narcissism. Um, as we wrap up, Yoshi, um, amazing podcast, man. I loved it. It was so yeah. fun. We um, we love to end every podcast, though, with a little bit of advice, right? And we like to do a little bit of a narrative, right? So kid coming out of college, right? We'll see, see right from Cleveland State University, come right out of college and you know, he or she doesn't know where to go right now. And it's kind of scary right now. You know, what's your advice to him or her? Well, always remember whatever job you take is your first job, not your last job. Right. And, uh, experience is, is, is very, very important. Um, but go seek out opportunities with people that, you know, you'd run through brick walls for, for free. Right. And that's crazy because in my life, I would have never thought that I would have ever worked for free, but Sometimes when you want to create something or get to a point where you think you want to be, and by the way, that is going to change. So keep your future dynamic. Um, but think about what drives your passion. And if it's crypto, you know, there's more to come, right? There's a lot of opportunity in that space. There's a lot of intellectual firepower that's being thrown at that space. There's companies that are being created, whether it's exchanges or trading companies or um, different NFT platforms. There, there's stuff coming in that space that could be really intriguing. But in the meantime, get experience, right? Do what it is that you are passionate about. Uh, and that's so cliche to say. And I, I, I would tell you what, I suffered through a lot of stuff that I otherwise wouldn't have thought that was my, that was my pa- like that was going to help me with whatever my passion was going to be. <sighs> but it did. Like I worked as a general salesperson, you know, when I started at City, and I learned so many things about so many different industries that I can, I feel like I can talk dangerously about almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I would brag that again, I'm, I, I work harder than I'm smart. Right. But I, I, I'm able to gather information and data points and make educated decisions um, because of my ability to accumulate broad based industry data and then kind of buck, boil it down to, to, to a, a smaller synopsis. Um, you have the opportunity to, to go and get experience, go get it. Like, and if you think that this 
if you need a certain component of experience that could help you with your long-term vision, go get it. Right? Get after it. Don't sit around and wait because somebody else is going to take it. Or by the way, that time might pass and, and your vision may change. And you know, you may miss that piece of infer, that piece of experience that you could add to your foundation of your, of your, uh, of what you're trying to do. And you know, whether it's build a company in the future or build a career or um, whatever it might be like, you can't stand still, right? You have to move. You have to get going. You have to get started. I think it was, was it Zuckerberg. Uh, Zuckerberg said that, or I forget who, who, who that quote was, whatever you do, you just got to get started. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, a lot of people have been frozen in their tracks over the last two years and they don't know how to get started. Just, just go. Mm -hmm. Remember if you take a job, it's your first job, not your last job. Love right. It. And, and the, the employment is plentiful. Love it. So actually one of the things that I was actually thinking about doing, um, is, you know, in my community in Virginia, um, you know, we have a, a great staff and team at Bojangles, but I'm trying to think about how do I attract, you know, uh, the younger generation in, into the stores to work. Right. And we're, you know, whatever, they just raised minimum wage in Virginia. But one thing I thought was, you know, for summer employment, uh, to bring in some of the younger people, I may actually do a seminar once a week in, in crypto. And they can all log into it. Well, if you're if you're an employee at the store, and, and the existing employees can work there too. I'll do a seminar just for my employees. Like you come work for me for the summer, and once a week we will do a, a, a you know thirty to forty five minute tutorial on on crypto and the crypto markets. It's awesome. And guess what? Nobody else in my industry can give that except for me. And that actually beats you know someone saying, "Hey, I'll pay you fifteen dollars an hour," to, and they're gonna jam you with some like horrible schedule that you don't want to work. Or you can come work for me uh, and we can create a flexible schedule for you to work for the summer and I can teach you about Bitcoin. Like, how does that sound? How does that feel? I'll work for you. <laughs> right? Yoshi, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Yeah.